This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. I just want to give you a quick heads up. We do talk about a mass shooting in this episode of the podcast about halfway through. So if that's something that you'd rather not listen to right now, or you have little ears in your car, I just want to let you know that that's about 30 minutes into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. To learn more about our network, go to sandyboyproductions.com. Did you know we have a brand new show in the network? It's called Ready to Run, hosted by Dr. Efren Cabalas and Kurt Roser, who is a doctor of physical therapy. They're based out of the Boulder, Colorado area. And their goal of the podcast is to engage in thoughtful discussions with athletes, coaches, clinicians, and researchers to share knowledge within the field of sports medicine and inspire progression in the sport of running. Great show already. They have episodes with Parker Stinson, Neely, Spence Gracie, and Matt Hensley, who is the coach of Boulder Underground. And I've already learned a lot from these guys. So make sure you go check it out. It's called Ready to Run. All right, today on the podcast, my guest is Dr. Richie Hansen. Richie is a former collegiate distance runner for UC San Diego and has been coaching in Boulder since 2009. He is a doctor of chiropractic with a specialty in sports medicine. He's also getting his MBA right now, and he is the head coach at Roots Running. Some of his athletes include Noah Drotti, Aaliyah Gray, who happens to be his wife as well, and they recently announced they have a baby on the way, Frank Lara, Maggie Montoya, and the list goes on. Richie is full of so much knowledge and he was a really inspiring and interesting interview. I think you guys are really going to enjoy getting to know him in this episode. This episode of the podcast is supported by Relay Run Co. Okay, friends, I have never found a pair of shorts that are spandex shorts that do not ride up in the middle when I run. Like I'm, I always am pulling the shorts down in the middle. I have tried every brand in these shorts do not move. Now Relay Run Co is founded by Ann Mazur. Runners love yoga. You might know her Instagram as that. She has been on the podcast before. She actually came on right after she qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon, but she has an eye for fashion and art and also knows what good performance apparel feels like and looks like and how comfortable it is. The Rachel pocket shorts and Belmont bra in the purple tie-dye is what I have been rocking 24 seven. I can almost promise you, I can't promise you totally because I don't have your legs on my body, but I can almost promise you that these shorts will not move when you run. They're so comfortable, very high quality, and also high-waisted, which is hugely important to me. Go support Anne and her small business and get yourself some kick-ass running gear and athleisure gear. Go to RelayRunCo.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that will get you 15% off your first order with Relay Run Co. That's RelayRunCo.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll get you 15% off your first order with Relay Run Co. All right, friends, 
Leave us a rating and review if you love this podcast. And I would super appreciate that. And share it with your friends on social media if this is something that you'd like them to hear. Thanks so much for being here and enjoy my conversation with Richie Hansen. Today on the podcast, we have Richie Hansen with Roots Running on the show. Welcome to the show, Richie. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. Excited to be here. You have a lot going on in your life right now. You're going back to school. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've been a chiropractor in Boulder for the past 12 years. Um, I opened my practice right after I graduated from my graduate program and uh, decided this last year to to pursue my MBA. Um, Part of it was just looking at the direction ahead of what I want out of my career and wondering whether in 10 years I still wanted to be in private practice or not and noticing that there was a big shift in way healthcare and medical technologies are, are moving that I wanted uh, to pivot into the investment side of healthcare. And so looking to get into venture capital and seeing an MBA as a pathway to do that, CU has a fantastic program to kind of gear towards entrepreneurship and, and VC and private equity. And so um, with it being in our backyard and my office being in a place that it was easy to transition and especially Aliyah just Got a fantastic new job that made life a little bit easier for both of us. Um, it was it was a good time to do it. So, um, first of all, all of that sounds like foreign language to me. To be honest, <laughs> I am like a a twenty year plus fully grown adult. Like I've been adulting for a very <laughs> long time, and all of it sounds very confusing. So, can you just explain a little bit more? I know you had your own practice, like you said, your chiropractor. And, and when you mm-hmm. say like venture capital and stuff, like what exactly in, in very simple terms, what does that mean you'll do? Yeah. So venture capital and private equity have some parallels. Private equity would be, it's an established, there's an established company that may not be doing as well as they would have hoped. And a lot of times a large proportion of startups might get to a series A round of funding and then stagnate as they're trying to get to that series B. So a private equity firm would come in, buy up a large stake in the equity of that company because they see some profitability in the future, try to figure out strategies to turn around that company and then be able to make that a profitable endeavor that they either then sell to some other company or sell to an investor. Venture capital, on the other hand, is taking those early stage startups, series A startups, series Bs, and provide them with equity in order to help fuel their future growth. Um, What I like about it is for healthcare and medical tech in particular, we're in an area where Boulder has some of the, outside of Silicon Valley, is a top five venture capital area in the country in general. But for medical tech and healthcare tech, it is a big environment, similar to how it is for distance running. It's like that in the medical tech and, and healthcare tech industry as well. And I look at it as the pandemic kind of accelerated this revolution of new technologies coming up to make access to healthcare a lot easier to make affordability a lot better, um, to make the, the quality of care improved. And 
when I was assessing my role within that healthcare ecosystem as a private practice owner, you're directly impacting the patient that you're working with one-on-one, but there's, there's this growing trend that with some of these technologies, you could potentially influence, affect, and help a larger landscape. So if I'm working at a startup that's a med tech, healthcare tech, you could potentially be providing a technology to the greater population that could be influencing a, a bigger shift. On the flip side, if I'm working in venture capital, you're sifting through a lot of these startups and try to decipher which ones might be um, not only good businesses in the future, but also technologies that could potentially aid that revolution that's occurring. And so I could help assist with the assessment, the providing a platform of funding to help get some of these technologies off the ground that help fuel what hopefully is a greater improvement in um, healthcare, which is just for lack of better phrasing, not great currently. Their access to care, quality of care, cost of care is, is, is not where it should be or where we'd like it to be. Wow. Have you always had like a desire to pursue entrepreneurship in your blood? I, guess, I mean, you were already doing it with having your own practice. Yeah. I don't know if pursuing entrepreneurship was necessarily what I set out to do as much as it was within most of my life, rather, whether it be in sports, in student government, in um, taking on roles of leadership at high school, college, graduate school. Um, I've always, I've always had a lot of fascinations, a lot of interests and, and things that just have kind of, if I don't know something, I want to learn more about it. I've always had this like lifelong learning capability. And so with entrepreneurship, it provides an opportunity to learn a new skill set that I may not know. When I was starting my own practice, I had no accounting or finance background. And I was learning a lot of that as I was learning how to set up a business structure on top of being a medical practitioner. And so entrepreneurship, I think, just affords me kind of the best of both. You learn some new skills. You're able to take on leadership positions. Um, It gives you the feeling that you're making a greater impact in whatever endeavor you're pursuing in that instance. And I think if I was working for a larger company, um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It just, your impact may not be as great. Even if you're working within a respective team, your impact within that company, it may take longer to kind of realize that. Whereas similar to what we're doing with Roots Running, with my practice, your growth is directly related to the amount of effort, the amount of voice that you might have within that, that pursuit. So I think it's a natural fit just based off of what it entails. I'm still trying to figure out like business, like I'm switching over into more of a business side now. And so still trying to figure out what roles within a business scheme I feel most suited for, whether that be strategy, business development, finance, et cetera. Um, but so far within the MBA program, I've been drawn to all of it because it's still, it's new to me and it's all super exciting. And 
I, I started my business from scratch with no formal training. Now I'm getting formal training. You're realizing some of the things that I could have done differently and things that I'm learning along the way. But um, yeah, I think I've just always been kind of a lifelong student that this gives me the, uh, it's exciting because it's such a different hat that I'm now wearing that I can still tie in the previous knowledge from, I had a psychology undergrad, I had chiropractic school, graduate school. And so you can kind of tie them all together into something that like now in venture capital, you're acting as a psychologist as you're assessing businesses, you're acting as a medical practitioner as you see viability. And then you're acting from a business standpoint to assess whether it actually has a path to profitability. So there's a lot of things that are starting to like just sew all my previous background together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I bet you're a dream candidate student for a professor because you're coming with so much experience you know you go into your MBA when you're like 23 24 right out of school it's like what experience are you bringing to the table it's it's a lot more beneficial once you've had that experience yeah and that when I was talking to the advisor last year about that that's that is one thing she emphasized was that they like students from diverse backgrounds they like from various industries different stages of life they do get candidates that are 23, 24, fresh out of college. They prefer the candidate that has career experience behind them because it brings different perspectives um, to, to the program. Um, it is really interesting. We have 23-year-old students in our cohort. We have 45-year-old students in our cohort. And we have a, people from all different backgrounds, military experience as well, that when you're in some of these classes that are more debate format, you really see that kind of shine through because a bunch of different perspectives, cultural backgrounds that can hash out or debate different topics that, that is really fun. I, I, I've always loved kind of that debate style. It allows you to kind of formulate a new way of thinking for yourself, but also create a little bit more critical thinking and cognitive thinking in the process. So. Yeah, that's really great. How old are you? Uh, 40. Just turned 40. Ooh, happy month. birthday. Yeah, thank you. Did you do anything exciting for 40? Um, so uh, I got selected onto the venture capital competition team for CU. And so we had our regional competition that weekend. And we ended up winning the regional. So we're going to the global competition against 12 other MBA programs from across wow. the world in two weeks. And so... We went, Ali and I went to a good, a good dinner that night, but the majority of the three days was full of that competition. So now where's the global competition located? Uh, North Carolina. Yeah. So oh. it'll be at Chapel Hill. Oh, I live in Raleigh. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was funny. Two years ago, they went to Scotland. Oh man. Um, <laughs> this, this year it's North Carolina. Dang. Um, but it, it'll be a, um, it'll be a great experience. It's the first time CU has qualified since 2017. They, uh, as a first year, cause it's a two year program. Normally you don't actively compete. You observe because I'm supposed to lead the team next year with a, one of my classmates. Um, but we had a team member that had to step off the team because he was too busy with, um, internships and stuff midway through our preparation. And so it allowed me in the other first year to kind of take a more active role this year. So it's, it's fun that it's 
Like it would be cool to go to Scotland, but yeah. with North Carolina being a little bit closer proximity, it allows it to be a little bit easier travel with the team while I'm still coaching. And um, it also gives me some great experience for next year against some, some top notch programs. So, okay. And last NBA question, how long is the program? Uh, two years. So I'll finish, I'll finish next May. Um, it is, crazy to, we were talking this weekend we have 37 total weeks of class time remaining and okay. so it feels like I just started but it's going to be over in such a blur so that's part of it too just really trying to dive in as much as I can and involve myself as much as I can uh, network with classmates and alumni and I went to football games this fall like really trying to enjoy what it means to be back at school be a part of these extracurricular um, club events that they, they hold and grow a larger network in an area that I'm still learning. So, Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the probably, how do I want to say this? It's one of the best things about aging is like really having a grasp on time, right? Like at yeah. 22, two years seems like a really long time. And at 40, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's just two years. It just flies by. Yeah. So you like, you have the appreciation of time and you just know, like, I need to soak this in. For sure. Yeah. I feel like if I were to pursue my MBA as a 23 year old, I wouldn't get as much out of it as I am now as a 40 year old. The sweet spot to me would probably have been that 28 to 35. Sure. I just wasn't, wasn't in a place that I, I felt ready to do that. But um, yeah, I completely agree. It's like you see, you see just even life experience formulate the way that you have an opinion and what your perspective might be on, on the world and business and future stuff. It's, it's definitely a different experience. Okay. So we have to learn so many things about you. Um, let's start with roots running though. Cause I think that the mm -hmm. listeners will probably be most interested in that. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I want to hear about, you know, being a doctor of chiropractic and how do I say that doctor of chiropractic medicine? There we go. Yeah, exactly. Chiropractic. Is that a word? Have you heard anybody say that before? No, I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us about the evolution of roots and how it started. Yeah. So I didn't formally uh, ever intend to be a coach. I, I ran collegiately at UC San Diego when I first moved to Boulder. Um, I was starting practice from scratch. Didn't, was trying to meet people, be involved in the running community and reached out to a local high school. I had acted as an athletic trainer when I was in graduate school at, at a local high school as part of our program and asked if they need help with any of their athletic department. They needed a trainer for their hockey team. So they asked me if I'd be the trainer for the hockey team. While I was the trainer, they had a need for a middle school track coach. And so they asked me if I'd be the middle school track coach. And so I did that for that spring season and towards the end of the spring season, the athletic director asked if I would help out with the high school team. And so that fall, this was 2010, um, took on the high school cross country coaching position. My experience up until that point was middle school track coach for one spring season. And now I was the high school cross country coach. So I was trying to learn a lot. Um, I, obviously had a background in running, but never had formulated a training plan. And so I was trying to learn a lot regarding that, read a bunch of periodization books, read Jack Daniels book, like just tried to understand the process of 
putting the pieces together into a training plan. We were a small school, 600 kids. Um, by the year that I left, um, we had 72 on cross country. We had 105 on track. And so it was exciting to see that a large percentage of just the student population in general was on our team, but we were also showing success. We had school records, top performers at state in our classification. We had runner up in cross country in the state meet um, my last year. And it was, it was fun to kind of see that athletic development. During my final year at the high school, um, Aliyah, who is now my wife, her and I had started dating. She had recently moved to Boulder. We met through mutual friends and um, she had joined a professional group when she had moved out here, um, was looking for a different coaching situation after being out here for a few months. It just wasn't working out with the training systems that she was in. I wasn't really looking to, to coach her because of our relationship. So I reached out to one of my best friends who was at the Olympic Training Center. He put us in touch with Coach V Hill. Okay. Coach V Hill was willing to take her on as an athlete and mentor me as a coach. And we saw within that first year a big jump in performance. She went from 1603 in the 5K down to 1535. Her 10K time dropped from 3257 down to 3159. Um, and so we started getting contacted by a few other athletes. The first of those were uh, Mara Olson, who was a five-time All-American at Butler, and then Noah Drotty, who had seen something on Twitter that we were starting a group and reached out. And um, it was it was this thing where it's like, at that point where we were at in our life cycle, we hadn't still intended it to form it as a group. I was just looking for training partners for Leah seeing Noah as maybe somebody that they could kind of latch on with pace wise. They were kind of low 15 minute women. He was high 14 as a, as a male, but obviously his trajectory has been insane. Um, and so when he started running really well, that spring combined with what Aaliyah was doing on the female side and Mara was consistently placing top 10 in us road championships, we started getting this large influx of interest. And so we were like, okay, let's actually turn this into a group. And so it was an unofficial group for like a good year. But then with some of those newer athletes, there started to become more of this push of let's formalize it and, and create it into an actual entity. And so um, a couple connections that we had, one was an attorney that's based back in Indianapolis who works with USATF Indiana. He was willing to be a board member for us. One of my college teammates who works in uh, marketing, he was in ASICS marketing for a long time. And one of my other friends who has a background in finance decided, okay, like, help, let's formulate this into a nonprofit. Let's make this an actual entity. Um, and the rest from there is kind of history that we've had some turnover with athletes. We've gotten some new athletes. The consistency of talent has improved with each new crop that we have gotten. The development of those athletes kind of parallels what Noah was able to do, but also with athletes that already had a larger talent base to begin with, um, with some higher accolades behind their name already. Um, and then with this most recent wave of the Sydney Gitabude, the Parker Stinson, you just know that the pathway um, with what the, the group's potential is, is really high comparative to what our, our starting point was. 
we would like more women because it's just harder. Like I don't recruit. I just, I sift through the, who reaches out. Yeah. Whoever reaches out to me, because in my head, when I've, we, we had some sponsorship money to play with in the past. And when I would reach out to athletes, knowing that we had some sponsorship money behind one of the first questions I would get from athletes was, well, what can you give me? Mm. And there was a phrase that coach V Hill always stuck with me that he had an athlete do that to him in the past when he was starting Mammoth Track Club. And he said his response was he laughed and was like, well, I'm giving you world-class coaching. What more do you, what more do you want? And I, I agree with that to a certain extent. It's really hard to obviously make a living in the sport. And so you need some assistance along the way. But to me, it's always been this thing of you want an athlete to buy into who I'm going to be as their coach, what the training system is, what their training partners are going to be. And with that, from a female side, we just don't get as much contact from female runners in general. And that could just be a larger testament to the environment that a lot of males continue to pursue it. I wish there were more, the the females that do pursue it end up being incredible. Um, I just wish that we, there was a larger platform that incentivized, encouraged some of that continuance on after the, after their college careers. Um, because we are seeing on our men's side, it's like, okay, we have a good talent level now. Let's see if we can equate that from the female side. Cause it's always been something where I want even distribution of numbers in general. So you hear that ladies, there, yeah, there's some exactly. young talented ladies listening to this. You hear that? Uh, yeah. There's, there's tons across all divisions and it's, it's just crazy to even see the evolution of NCAA and how fast males, females, uh, regardless of D1, D2, D3, and especially when you get to the longer distances, we've had a lot of success, obviously, at the marathon that, like, longest distance you run in college outside of NAIA is the 10K. And so how do you know who's going to be a good marathoner down the road if the longest you're running is six miles in college? And so there's – you look at the development of a high school athlete to, to then the development of an athlete to college, and – you can see that same thing hold true on the professional level. It takes time to get good at those longer distances. There has to be a developmental component regardless of talent level after college. Um, and so you just hope that athletes stay in the sport long enough to really see their development take hold. Um, is the lawyer in Indiana, is it John Maley? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, love that guy. Love Such a good guy. Him and his wife, Vivian, they're, they're just like, they're like two of my like, major life role models yeah and he's so so not just with our group you see him support so many other professional groups across the country he's on the notre dame alumni foundation does a lot of great stuff in the local running scene with putting on races runs his own nonprofit foundation based off of his son's story um just a great great person in general that we've been fortunate to have him be a part of our group um, he's been just a very steady hand as we've tried to, to make this an actual organization. That's awesome. You know, it's like when I see him and Vivian, it's like, I, I want to be like that. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. they're successful people that give so much of their time. And, yep. um, I always think about their kids. I'm like, man, you guys are lucky. You have like the most awesome parents ever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he does it. He's a, 
criminal defense attorney coaches uh, is a partner in his firm on multiple nonprofit boards. Um, just an incredible use of time, let alone an incredible person. So, yeah, it makes you think, okay, like I want to make the most of my every single day because there's just like it, there, you, there's so much purpose to that. Like yeah. there's so much purpose yeah. to your life when you can live like that and not waste time. I was going to ask you on that topic though. Um, you know, you were talking earlier about starting your own practice and like not knowing what you were doing and just like one thing at a time. I oftentimes feel like I just freeze. It's like if I want to do something. So I'm curious if you have any strategies or ideas or things you've done to execute when you're like, I want to do this, but I don't know what A, B, C, D, E, F, G to get there are. What's your starting place? Yeah. Um, so my brain kind of works like a flexible checklist and you can't do everything at the same time. So it's prioritizing things according to importance and deadlines of when those things are due. And so sometimes I might get backlogged on email responses more so than I would like. I've always said in the past, like I would respond to every single athlete that ever reached out because that was one thing that Noah emphasized that I was the only coach that responded to him when he sent out inquiries. And wow. What would happen if I hadn't like, he's now one of the best marathoners that we've had in us history that it would be a shame if somebody like him fell through the cracks. And so now as, as things have gotten more busier, it's, it's become something where I may, I'd still make it a priority to try to get back to everybody. I still miss an email here or there that might sift through the cracks. Um, and it may not be as timely as things once were, but part of that is because I'm prioritizing my checklist with what things I need to get done sooner, which things carry a heavier weight. Um, and it's focusing on that one task at a time. Um, if I hit a roadblock with a task, I may take a break for a second, move on to that next task in my priority, and then come back to that one that's higher up in that list. Um, but especially like I've still been trying uh, as I move into this next transition with my MBA program, I'm still treating patients. It may not be as frequently as I was in the past because of everything else that I'm, that I have going on, but it's between patient load and MBA school and having being a good spouse to Aaliyah while also managing the group, it does take making sure that you can organize your time appropriately. And so the beginning of each day, the end of each day, I look at what my day is going to entail and just make sure that I'm, I'm checking off the boxes of the things that have deadlines that are coming up. Um, really focusing my attention on the tasks that I'm doing in that moment. Um, making sure that um, I have time to reflect at the end of the day to see if there was anything that I may have missed. And um, the last five minutes when I'm laying in bed before I fall asleep, like it's, it's always that I'm just laying there quiet, like reflecting on kind of what the day was and what I might have to go to the next day. And then I do the same thing the next morning while I'm drinking my coffee. And um, I think a lot of it is just, prioritization, organization, um, self-discipline and focus that you have to be consistent with that. Just like the athletes have to be consistent with the training. You have to be consistent with that in a lot of your, your daily tasks as well. Um, because it is easy to 
to kind of um, fall behind or get overwhelmed. And there's there's a lot of other things that are pulling your attention in a bunch of different directions. And so the prioritization of those tasks, I think, becomes the key piece. So when you wake up in the morning, do you make a list with like, this is what has to be done. This is secondary. This is third. Like, do you have that? Because I think that's my problem. Like, I don't prioritize well. And I don't miss, yeah. I, and I go to my email first and it's like, don't go to your email first. That's not the most important thing on your day. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just like being fairly regimented with my schedule too. Like I try to sift things into things that are going to be consistent. So like a lot of my training plans for the week, I'll, I'll post them on Sunday and Monday. So I know consistently, okay, Sunday, Monday, like those are the times where I'm writing out the weeks every night before like while I'm winding down I go through all of my training plans so I can read all the comments that the athletes have inputted for the day so as I'm like daily monitoring their stuff it's already formulating my thought process for the next couple of weeks and then that can be adjusted as as I'm actually putting it um the way that that I have the athlete schedule I have their copy of their schedule and then I have the schedule that they see so their copy is like my template. Mm. And so I have kind of their flow of the season, but that's amendable based on um, how they're progressing. And then what they see is just that week layout. And if an, in, if an athlete is coming back from injury, I might post two days of stuff as opposed to that full week. That way I can monitor how their injury or how um, their fitness is progressing um, that way I can modify a lot of that stuff as well. Um, so that's from the running standpoint with school, it's same thing. It's writing out my calendar of these are when things are due. These are when my meetings are keeping those as consistent as I potentially can. So I can start in my head. If someone asks, Hey, do you have time for coffee or do you have time to meet? Like I know already where my openings are within the day. Um, and then it's also like, I, I don't like missing deadlines. And so if I have a test coming up, but I've had all these other meetings, I've had stuff with the group that has kind of deviated me from being able to be as consistent during the day. There, there are times where I'm up late to make sure that I'm getting my, my, my things done on time. Um, so it's like, I, I have that checklist of priorities for the different endeavors that I'm doing. And then it's a matter of puzzle piecing them together to see which ones fit best within a certain time frame. I might say like on a Monday, 10 to 12 is where I'm focusing on this project. And then from 12 to two, I'm focusing on this project at five o'clock. I'm going to dedicate time to kind of reviewing a lot of the training schedules. And um, yeah, I think a lot of it is just like you're, you're puzzle piecing around things, but it's puzzle piecing priorities first and then going to those next tasks and so forth. I think you could whip some of us into shape, whip some of our businesses into shape. <laughs> get us, get us. Well, maybe strategy should be my focus. Yeah, right? yeah, that might be it. You go into the businesses and say, why aren't you focusing on this? You should be focusing on right. this first. Hey, friends, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this podcast. If you are feeling achy in your joints at all, if you're wondering, would the Joint Health Plus supplement that they have help me? I'm here to tell you it probably will. It delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available on the market. 
So many people have reached out saying they cannot believe the difference it has made. I take this product every single day myself. And this is a company I stand by that I really believe in. They have a really great vegan protein powder that I use almost daily. My kids use it. They have great kids vitamins as well. They're super vites. They actually donate a bottle for every bottle you purchase. They donate a bottle to malnourished kids around the world. Doing really great work over there. I also just get my multivitamins from Prevenex as well. So you all can go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. Well, you guys had a really great showing at Houston. Yeah, that was an exciting day. Um, everyone ran unbelievably well. And the thing that you hope for, we I thought two years ago in 2019 at Chicago, we had a great day because we had seven athletes, all seven set personal bests. And you just know going in that it's rare to have those days where everybody hits what they were hoping to hit. And so when those days happen, you really get excited about it, you appreciate it you um it's you just realize how rare those can be especially when you have days that don't go as well as you'd like um and so it's always i mean you're a successful sports better if you win 51 percent of your bets and so it's like you look at it from a coaching standpoint that if you can 50 percent or more of the time be hitting the races the way that you anticipate them being able to hit then you're probably having more success long-term than, than, uh, than what is custom because you're going to realize it becomes harder and harder to set personal bests as the career progresses. And so um, you take those days when they do come because you realize it's as an athlete gets older or um, an athlete injury cycle can happen. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's a rare feat. And so January was special for sure. Yeah. And friends, I mean, this is going to air way past January. <laughs> like, I can't believe, I, I know it's March 15th right now when we're recording this. I feel like it's already April though, to be honest. Again, that whole time thing when you're 40. I know. Um, but I'm, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And this won't probably air till like mid-May. But um, just for listeners, I'm going to read like, I'm going to read the, what your athletes did in Houston, Maggie Montoya, and I'm probably going to butcher some names, third place, 229.09. And that was her debut marathon, right? Yep. Yeah, it was big deal. Big deal. Yeah. She had, we had intended for her to debut in the fall at Chicago and she unfortunately got, um, injured in May, um, which caused her to miss the Olympic trials. She had a sacral stress reaction. Um, so even from that, it was impressive for her to run 229 seven months after a sacral stress reaction is pretty, pretty mind blowing. She's just such a talented woman that she does some incredible things that we see consistently in training. And so when she's able to put it together in a competition, it's, it's just, you, you're just like so excited for her because Every, she's been through a lot, but it's also um, you just you're excited to see an athlete realize their potential. Yeah, and for listeners that don't know, Maggie was in the um, King. Is it King Supers? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. She, she was in the grocery store when there was a shooter in the store, and 
um, the story is that you were actually at the store outside, like texting with her, right? Yeah. So my office was a thousand meters away from where the store was. And so we saw the police presence flying by the office. And uh, I thought the shooter was in the parking lot, like because we had heard he had shot somebody in the parking lot. I didn't realize he had then moved into the store. Um, she, uh, I, so I sent her a text just like, I heard there's a shooter in the parking lot. Are you okay? And her response was very cryptic. And it was like, um, yeah, he's outside the pharmacies in the store. And she was, the way that the layout of the King Supers was when he entered the store and opened fire, he then moved to the left of the store, which ended up putting him right in front of the pharmacy, which is she was working behind that desk. And so when he entered the store, she ran with a pharmacist into a side office that's just off from where that front desk was. Um, she was hiding under a desk. The pharmacist was holding the door shut of that private office because it enters then into the store. And when they got the shooter, she didn't realize it, but she was he was hiding just on the other side of the wall from where he was at. And so I had been texting her consistently back and forth because we found a live feed that somebody in the parking lot had pulled up on their cell phone. And so I was giving her updates as to what police were doing um, out front when SWAT was moving in, just be ready. They're about to run, come into the front really quickly. So if you hear a lot of loud noises, like just keep yourself hidden. And uh, I didn't realize how close he was to her until the next day when she was giving an interview um, on CNN about it, where she was kind of detailing it. Um, when she was being let out of the store, she was having to follow the bloody footprints of the shooter out of the store. They had led the shooter out first. They told them to keep their heads down because they were about to pass a lot of the victims that were in that area of the store. And she said, it was just eerie. You're you're keeping your head down, but you're also following his footprints. And that's in a lot of the pictures, she's the first employee that's being let out of the store. Um, and it's, it's been challenging. Um, you, you were, I'm grateful for our team and the personalities we have on it. Cause they've been an unbelievable support system to her. The running community at large has been to her as well. Um, she still, every time she hears, loud noises, starting guns of races, backfires of cars, somebody drops a plate in a restaurant, you still see that startle response. Um, but for her to be able to still continue on with the sport, still be able to see success in the sport has been an, an incredible testament to her, her resiliency, focus, determination. I think there's been a lot of, I didn't she where she didn't want that event to take away from what she was starting to see success in because it had taken her a couple of years on the post-collegiate scene to be able to um, see the level of success that was expected. But she's, yeah, she's just been an incredible person to come out of that um, successfully, even if there's still things that she's managing and trying to, to work through at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't imagine stepping foot inside a grocery store again. Just any, you know, yeah. just daily life things that you have to do to run your life. So um, I know the entire running community has has thought about her through this. And 
I mean, my heart went out to her on those post post interviews when she, you know, she's still in this like state of shock and fragile yeah. from the events. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, leave this poor girl alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a balance. Yeah. It was a balance. And it was this thing. Uh, very, very grateful for her agent, Josh Cox, as well, because he's been a huge asset um, in helping to manage a lot of the outreach that she received. Um, there was a lot. There was a lot of agents or a, a lot of reporters that wanted uh, interviews with her. I would filter them over to Josh. There were instances where I don't know how, but a, a reporter would find her cell phone directly mm-hmm. and try to call her directly. And this would be like the day following. It was like, yeah, maybe give her a, a couple of days. But um, it's this it's this thing where she she it was hard for her to tell the story. She knows that she has a platform that she wants to express some of the things that happened. So people don't forget about those events, who the victims were, that those things can happen pretty much anywhere. She realizes that she's one of the few now that has unfortunately growing number of people that have been in that situation. Um, But just realizing that, okay, you can either, uh, not want to talk about it at all or be able to use your voice for what you experienced for something that you're now tied to. Um, and she's, she, she's been unbelievable with trying to do, trying to manage what her, her body, mind, emotions will allow her, um, to do, to be able to like tell her story and express the the feelings that she went through in that moment this week is going to be the one year anniversary of that. Oh wow! And tomorrow there's a, there's a reporter coming out to practice for one of the local news stations that's doing follow-ups with a lot of the survivors of it, her being one of those. And, um, and she's okay with that. Yeah. She's okay with him coming out. Um, especially like it's, it's, it's that thing where it's like, she's not doing like 20 interviews this week. She's doing the one with the local news station, um, and they're trying to do like kind of a memorial tribute to, to those victims and, and as well as the, the follow-ups on how the survivors are doing, but it's, it's that weird dynamic of there's emotional stress that she's still working through as well as balancing having the platform and voice to be able to share what she did knowing that she has with from her running side a larger platform than most of the people that experience that same thing um and so uh yeah she she's she's been doing great at it but it's i think running for her has kind of transformed into from this anxiety piece to more of an outlet where you realize that in an instant things can change and so really enjoying what those experiences mean at the same time has been, I think, such a valuable piece to her as well. Gosh, it's such like bullshit that we can't go to a grocery store or like a Lowe's and feel like, I mean, I, I feel like I'm on edge every time I'm checking out, you know, it's like, this just like so sad that that's how we live. And I hope that most people don't actually feel like that. I have a little bit of an issue with the anxiety in general. So Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, gosh, it's, it's, it's awful that, that it's become such a regular thing. 
Um, well, I hope that the interview goes well and it brings her peace rather than anxiety or anything like that. Absolutely. Um, let's go through a couple more of your athletes there at Houston. Sydney, this is the one I'm going to butcher. Get a boudet. Yep. Did I do yep. it? Okay. Yeah. Ninth place, 61.09 in the half, which was a one minute, 23 second PR. Frank Lara. Is it Lara or Lara? Uh, Lara. Lara. Sixth place, 211.32 debut. Luke Caldwell, seventh place, 211.33. Do they run together the whole time? Uh, not technically. Frank went out with the leaders, and I had warned them that from about mile 15 to 20, it was going to be a pretty strong headwind. Um, so Frank went out with the leaders at about 15K. Luke was about a minute behind them. And was able to gradually realize that he was making up a little bit of time on them because he could see them up in front of him on the road. Houston's beautiful in that respect where it's these long straightaways. And so he could see them start to slowly come back to them. So he was a minute down at 15K. By 25K, he had caught up to them. And he was like, my intent when I caught up to that lead group was just to tuck on the back. But he had all this momentum that had pulled him up to them. So, and Frank was up at leading that group at that point. So he just kept it going past the group and ended up taking the lead of the group. And it was really cool watching it on the live feed because you could see Luke back in the distance. Then you see him move up to that main group. And then you see him and Frank up at the front pushing the pace together. Um, they faded a little bit over the last mile when, when the pace really dropped. Um, but for both of them, it was their debuts. Couldn't have asked for a better debut. Frank's from Houston, so that was a special experience. Luke, I think, set the fastest debut by a Scottish-born runner, fifth fastest in in the UK in UK history, and um, or in Scottish history. Wow. So that was exciting for him. Um, he's going to participate now at, I believe, the European Championships. That that would qualify him for that. Um, it's between that and Commonwealth games. So we're trying to kind of sift through which one he's going to do, but yeah, just an incredible experience for both of them. Yeah. And talk to us a little bit about Sydney as well. That's a really big half marathon PR when you're running that fast. Yeah. He's such a talented kid. Um, he's joined our group in August and he's had some incredible performances for us in such a short time as well. Um, finished third at the U.S. 5K Championships back in November. Um, the he Frank ran 61.00 at Valencia in October, and so I think that was kind of a target for Sydney going into Houston. Okay. Was like I'm going to try to beat Frank's so close. Time. Um, but part of it, he said after the race, like he he went out with the lead group, and same thing, he just kind of faded over the last mile or two of Houston. Um, he led a large portion of that race early. He made that comment at the finish line. He's like, I think I led too much of it. And some of the other guys in the American field, Diaz Zambasa and Carabella Rasa were both giving him a hard time at the finish line. Like, dude, you got to learn how to just sit in a pack. And <laughs> it was really cool to see other competitors that had just beaten him also giving him advice on how to be a better competitor and racer in the future. That is Cause cool. I think a lot of people, Sydney is just like, I mean, all of our guys, Luke, Sydney, Frank, that were at Houston, they're just such incredible people. They're just down to earth, easy to get along with, um, well-liked with 
their competitors. And I think a lot of people look at Sydney as he's just one of the nicest guys that you can compete against, train with, a very talented, smooth-looking athlete. Um, came from kind of challenging upbringing um, as well. And um, I think it's just such so cool to kind of see some of that success um, and some of that realization of ability start to come through. He saw a little bit of it this last year when he was on Tim and Elite. And then he has just been on a not only tear of performances, but just like you see – the aggression when it comes to workouts, the aggression when it comes to races, like he said, he wants to learn how to run with a lot of those top international athletes. And so some of that is putting yourself there consistently and learning the tendencies of what it takes to be good, not just on the U S scale, but on the international scale and having a training partner like Frank, that was already trying to do that himself, I think has helped him realize that like, Oh, I can do that too. And it's not all it is, is a, a matter of how you approach the competition with who you're racing against and the confidence that you're going into that comp competition with, um, that allows you to put yourself in good positions. And then it's a matter of what you do with those opportunities that makes a difference. So, wow. Okay. Sounds like I need to interview him first of all. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Second of all, you know, I love that you were saying that the competitors were giving him advice and whatnot, because it's like, of course they want him to do better because when he does better and he does better and he does better and you know, it's like they're just elevating the sport and, and pushing each other to have a higher ceiling. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I heard, I heard one of the younger runners, um, talk about wanting to go try to run a fast half because they saw what Connor Mance had done at the U S half marathon champs in December. And I read an interview with Connor Mann saying that he was going out to try to break the American record because he was inspired by Frank going out to try to break the American record at Valencia. And so you start to see this like evolution of not only talented people that are running fast consistently, but also the way that they approach racing, the mindset that they're doing it. It's like Frank and Connor are friends. Like they're, they're, their friends when they're chatting out there, they both want to beat each other. And so it becomes this thing like everyone's trying to like push that envelope a little bit further, which we're, everyone wants to defer back to the footwear and what the footwear is doing to the sport. I think a lot of that also comes with just the mindset difference that a lot of these athletes are having. A lot of them are friends on either virtually on social media or have raced against each other consistently. And so they're getting inspired by one another as well. That um, I think the combination of factors is what's also elevating the sport in general. Hey friends, this episode of the podcast is supported by Gooder. If you are looking for an awesome pair of sunglasses that don't slip around when you're on the go, Look no further than Gooder. They have really classic styles as well as really fun and loud styles. My go-to pair are the Aviators. I love just the standard black Aviator shades. I also love the Breakfast Run to Tiffany's. And in races, I like to wear the fun colors. I think it's super fun and brings a little bit of attitude and sass to a race. So go to Gooder.com slash another Use the code ANOTHER15, that's ANOTHER15, 
to save 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, I'm like a big nerd in for like women's running and it's, you know, I'm trying to be more invested in the men's running as well. So it's exciting to see these performances. Is that bad? Yeah, no, no, no. I think, I think that's one, one of the things that why I've always stated that I do would like even numbers on our team is just because like, I, I started the group because of Aaliyah. And yeah. so you, when I was, when it was just her and me initially, I would pace her through a lot of workouts and you start following a lot of the women's side of the sport. And then when you start seeing the success Noah's had, you start following a lot of the men's side of the sport as well. And I think having the even numbers on the team help keeps me in tune with what both sides of the sport are doing because we saw on the same day at Houston, American records by Kira D'Amato and Sarah Hall in the same event within an hour of one another. It's just, it's incredible to see the level of performances that are being outputted. And it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of the TV coverage tends to highlight mostly males. And I think Josh, who's commentated a lot of the NBC events has always said like running is the hardest live sporting event to cover because these courses cover such large distances. It's hard to have the appropriate amount of cameras with the what, like getting a good Wi-Fi, uh, like a TV signal and having enough commentators in all the different places to be able to like do it in real time. With that said, you do see like it is, it's, it's almost like it would be, it would be nice for each of those respective genders to have their own platform on any given day, as opposed to it being simultaneously trying to be meshed together um, because you do miss storylines in that same process. And fortunately, Frank and Luke were in that lead pack. Otherwise I would have had no idea what our athletes were doing. Um, Same thing with Maggie. Like I didn't see Maggie at all on the live feed you're just kind of following it on the updates with what's coming through with the tracker. But at the same time, fortunately, Kira D'Amato who set the American record was winning at the time. Otherwise it's like, or like was um, yeah, she was leading. Sarah Hall was in that lead pack. It's, it's that thing where it's like, we may have missed some valuable storylines if the focus was just on whoever was the leader in that moment. Um but everybody across the landscape of American distance running across all events, 800 up to the marathon are running incredible right now. Yeah, I know for sure. I, I think that the most frustrated feed I had was Chicago last year. I, I was like, what is happening? Like, we don't even know who's getting third place right now. Like get this, get the cameras back on the women. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that it ends up being, like you see the coverage that Tour de France has consistently with their cycling events. And you wish that there is a lot more parallels to that type of coverage in distance running. I'm sure there's logistical things, especially in big cities that make it more difficult to do um, because the countrysides where you have a lot more, like you can have helicopters and drones a little bit easier than you can in, in downtown formats, I'm sure is part of it. But it's 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 unfortunate that in in today's age where there is so much different technology that it's just not easier to kind of follow all the different time, 
uh, storylines going on. Maybe there's been enough Twitter rants by now that they'll start yeah. fixing it. Some get a get a big sponsor on there to make sure it's equal. Um, Aaliyah, yeah. Aaliyah had a great race in Chicago last year. Yeah, it was it was great, and um, it, she put it best. She was like, "I'm indifferent. I'm not content with it because she would have liked the time to have been faster. The place so seemed hot. to be a little bit higher. It was hot and windy, but." Conversely, she's had such a rough last three, four years. She had knee surgery. She had uh, years worth of sinus infections. She had a sacral stress fracture that seeing her be able to rebound and come back. She ran 230 at Marathon Project, which was a big PR in, in December 20, 2020. Um, and then the hope was that the weather at Chicago would have been a little bit better that she could have cracked 230. It just wasn't the day for that. Um, but I, I mean, I'm constantly awe-inspired by her. I mean, I get to see the good sides and the bad side of the sport with her more than I do any of the other athletes because of, of hers and my relationship. Um, that sometimes it is challenging from a, a coaching standpoint to also see some of the, the struggles that she might be going through from either an injury standpoint or the emotional toll that those injuries can take as you're trying to get back into fitness. And so, although it wasn't as great a, a performance as she would have liked, there's a lot of redeeming qualities that came through in a performance like that. And especially the way that she ran at marathon project that um, I was, I was just so proud of her to be able to see that, especially knowing all the backstory. It's hard on the surface. It's easy for people sometimes to like, and I'm not saying this happened with her, but to criticize some of the subpar performances that do go on or question, why isn't an athlete improving on their last one or so-and-so didn't run as fast here as they did at this race. And I think sometimes it's just when you get to see the behind the scenes stuff a lot and you understand a lot of the things that some of these athletes might be either struggling with outside of the sport as much as they might be struggling with stuff in the sport. Um, you can appreciate the context of the performance a little bit differently. And a lot of times that's the role that I play at races is just putting things into context, whether it's good or whether it's subpar um, to make sure that the athlete understands that like be excited for what this means because of this, or look, it wasn't as disappointing as you might feel it is in this moment because of here's all the things that kind of led up to it. Um, or if it, if the performance just didn't come together, here are things that we, we can do to help improve upon that in the future. Um, but I think context, context is everything related to the sport because so many things can change that affect that. And now for listeners who might not know, Aaliyah is Richie's wife. Yes. And she's yeah. been on the podcast years ago. I remember the first time I interviewed Noah Drotti, um, he suggested having her on. I mean, it's probably been four years since she's been on the show. It's a long time. Um, she was, it was almost like, I feel like it was somewhat freshly off when she ran at the trials and the marathon trials mm -hmm. in 2016. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. What's she up to now? How's she doing now? What's she training for? Is she nursing any injuries? No injuries. Um, she, like I mentioned earlier, she had gotten a fantastic 
uh, new role within their company. She, she's been a copywriter for a long time. And then last fall, uh, started transitioning into UX writing, UX design, um, got hired on by a, uh, tech startup that focuses on sleep technology. And, um, it's a company called bright, uh, that does like smart beds and like, when you sleep, it kind of auto adjusts pressure to help optimize your amount of time in REM sleep. So really cool product, but she wow. got, she got hired on as a senior content designer. Um, they had closed their series A round of funding last year. And so they were, they're in a growth phase and she's employee number 33 at the company and loves her team, loves the, the company, but it was this thing like we had kind of targeted Chicago knowing that this spring was going to be a big push for her company as they continue to grow. Um, and so uh, no racing on the schedule right now. She's training and running um, consistently, but work has been very like uh, d demanded a lot of her time of late. Um, and so she's prioritizing that while she um, doesn't fall too far out of fitness so that that way with trials is going to be here before we know it. Um, she, she knows that eventually like, okay, I'll have to get a race to get that qualifier to then go to trials, but um, allowing herself to really enjoy this other aspect of her life that is helping to grow this company, being a, in a senior leadership position, which is the first time she's had that opportunity. So that is really cool. And it sounds like a really healthy way to do life, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys get one of those cool beds? We did. That, yeah. Do you love, a, is it good? Do you notice? Oh my God. Yeah. So, uh, we're beta testers for it and it's dual chamber. So like her side auto adjusts differently than my side. Wow. Um, and, uh, I want one, man, that sounds yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's very comfortable. And it is a, one of the cool features that has this like relaxation mode that like kind of feels like you're on a wave oh, as you're like going, going to sleep yeah so you can kind of set the time of it as you're trying to like fall asleep so it's it's definitely helped our sleep quality I, I would say that um okay we're gonna wrap up here but first I just have a couple questions about um your chiropractic work man I want to be a chiropractor just because I love hearing things pop do people say that all the time <laughs> yeah. to you yeah, some do. Some get a little creeped out by it, but oh, I yeah. could listen to people pop things all day long. Yeah, <laughs> it is like you do notice a difference with certain patients that um, uh, some adjust a little bit easier than other ones, and um, there is something that like you just know like how gratifying or relieving it must feel when that happens, and so like yeah, there is there is something to it that that is kind of fun to hear. Um, what is one of the most common things a runner comes in for an adjustment for? Um, so I'm not, the way that I practice wasn't traditional chiropractic. I do like sports chiropractic. And so adjustments still are part of that. Um, but we do a lot of soft tissue work, strength and conditioning, rehab, similar to like what you might experience if you went to like physical therapy or acupuncture okay. or whatever. Um, with that said, um, because running tends to be a big focal part of my background and experience, I do see a lot of lower leg injuries. And so like I, I could, I adjust every joint in the body and even like um, ankles and feet and stuff. And so like 
I'll see a lot of Achilles injuries. I'll see a lot of shin splints, patellar tendonitis. Um, and so adjusting the ankle, adjusting the foot as part of treatment for those injuries is pretty common. And I think for runners, like gaining an ankle adjustment just like feels so good because you realize how much pressure kind of built up around that joint. Um, what are you doing common- when you do an, sorry, I interrupt, and I'm so curious when you do an ankle adjustment, what are you mm-hmm. doing and what exactly is it doing? Um, so when you hear a pop, it's not that you're moving bones per se. Everyone thinks that you're like, I, a common thing that I'll have patients tell me when they come, they feel out or that they've been told that their pelvis is rotated. It's like, okay, well, to think of those joints are, um, like hinges, right? And so they're, those hinges are only... Um, able to be moved by the things that are pulling on those hinges. And so they require levers. They require the muscles, the tendons, the uh, ligaments to be able to like limit or encourage motion in a specific direction. And so, but pressure, like when you have enough tension from muscle, it can build pressure within that tight tissue. And so that's where things feel jammed, feel out of place, feel tight, et cetera. It's our perception of the way that 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 tension and pressure is kind of building within the joint. In most cases, if the joint is relatively healthy, we can dissipate that pressure well. It's in times of excess stress, excess tension, that excessive pressure can build that's not able to fully like dissipate on its own. And so when you take a joint to its end range, you apply a force, you hear that pop sensation, it's a release of that pressure from that joint space. In turn, what that can do is release the body's natural endorphins, which creates this like feeling of pain relief. Um, But it also sends sensory signal to the tissue that surrounds it to allow it to like relax, for lack of a better term, to not create as much pressure around that joint um, uh, as it would if it was just in that kind of tightened state. Now, with that said, you could adjust something and then like a couple hours later, adjust that same joint because if you're not addressing the thing that's creating pressure within that joint, pressure is going to rebuild in that joint as you start to use the tissue. Um, So when you're adjusting an ankle with all adjustments, what you're doing is joints have what's called a physiological end range, which is the amount that you can move it in an anatomical end range, which is like the limit that that joint range of motion has. And so you take it to that end range and then you apply just a little bit of over pressure I never advocate people try to adjust themselves unless you're just kind of like moving a joint and it just like kind of pops on its own. You never should force a joint because there's certain angles that I'm trying to take the joint under for a direction of pressure relief that I'm trying to give it. Um, and so with an ankle, like depending on if I'm trying to adjust what's called the subtalar joint, which is like deep in the ankle where your talus meets up with like your lower leg. Um, or if I'm trying to adjust like the midfoot or like there's a small bone in the foot called the cuboid that can build pressure. Um, you're taking in the foot or the ankle under different ranges of motion. And then you take it to that end range. You apply that over pressure to get that, that pressure relief or that pop that a lot of people feel. Wow. What do you adjust or, and do you do dry needling for tight Achilles? So dry needling, I'm a big fan of for, for Achilles injuries. I don't do it because I get a little squeamish around needles. Oh, really? Um, I do a di- yeah, I do a different technique called Grafton, which oh, yeah. 
the app the application of both is fairly similar you're trying to bring blood flow to the tissue that just doesn't have great blood flow supply and so for tendon injuries i like grafton i like dry needling for muscle injuries i like active release or or, or massage um and so like dry needling would be something that i would especially like I do grafting, but grafting is going to be diffuse across the entire tendon. Dry needling can be a little bit more focal at the site of injury. And so if something's not responding well to grafting, I'll do, I'll, I'll recommend someone go get dry needling. Um, and I'm really light when it comes to grafting because you're working superficial tissue. You don't, you don't want to work it super deep because then you're inflaming the tissue, even though some inflammation is a good thing for part of that. Um, so yes, dry needling would be part of that. Um, Grafton would be part of that. And then a lot of different strength exercises to help stimulate tissue remodeling is a key piece as well. I had dry needling done in my calf for my tight Achilles and I cannot believe the relief I had within like two days. Yep. I was like, holy crap. Now am I keeping up on my strength exercises as good as I should? No, I'm not. I don't know why. I'm being stupid, but... I mean, I'm like, whoa, that relief was incredible. Yeah. The thing that I would emphasize with that stuff too is like, and this is, this goes with like most manual modalities, including foam rolling, using the stick, the roll recovery, et cetera. All of those things, the re they can create temporary relief mm. because we're stimulating the nervous system where anytime you rub something, it typically feels better because you're bringing blood flow to the surface and you're disrupting a neurological signal that your body's interpreting as pain. So when you rub it, it might feel better. Um, but what that's also doing is it's bringing that blood flow, it's bringing inflammation. Now that blood flow is only as good as what you use it for. And so if you get dry needling, it's stimulating blood flow, but then I would encourage the strength exercises because that's the loading response that actually helps to remodel the tissue. So a lot of people that come in for treatment the thing that you have to remember is the strength and conditioning afterwards is like the homework. And so that homework is what's preparing you for the test, which is that next treatment. And so you're trying to progress it. You're trying to be able to like keep the body going in a direction that you expected to go relative to the injury cycle of that injury. And so that strength and conditioning is like, to me, that's more important than any of the treatment that you might get, because that's what's actually creating the stimulus to get the tissue to remodel and tolerate load in the future. Okay. Listen, everybody, I know what you did today. I know you went and said, I'm going to do my run and you for sure got your run in because that's what runners do. And you were like, I'm going to yep. do my strength stuff for 15 minutes after my run. And you went and you took a shower. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I'm preaching yeah. that to you guys listening because I'm preaching it to myself. Yeah. And the, the, it's, it's like, so everyone asks me like what exercises they should do with running. And I think the thing to emphasize is like, there's like no, it's a balance of stimulus is just like you would with your running program. You have your recovery run, you have your hard workouts, you have your long run, your strength program should mimic that you should have weighted resistance exercises you should have some jumping and some skipping you should have some core endurance work you should have some yoga and some flexibility there should be a balance of the stimuluses within your program that also kind of parallels the balance of stimuluses you might have within your running program wow we are going to school today friends this is great <laughs> uh okay let's wrap up with end of podcast here What's the, what's something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? 
well, I'm trying to get into venture capital. So being a venture capitalist would definitely be something uh, professionally I'd like to do. From a running standpoint, um, coaching Olympian is something that would be not only really fun, but like there's so few Olympians in the sport that um, to see one of your athletes be able to achieve what is the highest level of professional running, I think would be really cool. Um, I think uh, my mom, before the pandemic, we had intended to take a trip over to Italy and um, she got her passport. She's never been out of the country and her father was from Italy. And um, I think that would be from a personal standpoint, being able, my mom was an art teacher. So being able to take her over to Italy and see a lot of the things that she would either teach or draw herself, I think would be also really cool. So cool. I hope you guys can do that sooner than later. Yeah, me too. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, gosh, the, one of the great books that's going to sound funny from a leadership standpoint is called Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun. Um, Attila the Hun was obviously a barbaric ruler, but Coach V Hill had recommended the book to me a while back. Wow. And it is pretty incredible. Like, just the thought process, the perspective on what it means to be a leader and, and um, the way that he, the way that he acted, the way that he did when it came to making decisions, that was kind of a fascinating book. Um, and then um, I'm trying to read through some of the business ones that um, I kind of set aside. And now that I'm in MBA school, I'm trying to be active about anti-fragile as one. Um, I just read a great book called The Art of Thinking Clearly that's um, basically like short two to three page chapters, but just on different like paradoxes, fallacies, ways of thinking that we kind of conduct ourselves in normal everyday life that you don't really realize you might be acting a certain way. And it's not necessarily like a way of self-help, but more of an observation of ways that we tend to do things that. I really enjoyed that book. That's one that I think I'll, I'll read periodically consistently just because there's so many valuable lessons within that. Gosh, there's so many books I want to read. So many. It's like, I yeah. love this question because I get so many great recommendations, but then at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to read them all. I know. I and know. I read a lot. I'm usually reading like three books at once, like different, you know, depending on what yeah. mood I'm in. It's like, that's why I never reread a book, though, because there's just so many out there. There's so many. Yeah, Aliyah and I, we, we always set these goals of how many books we're going to read a year. Oh, I love that. And we, ne we never live up to the goal. And so what we decided at the start of this year was, like, if we beat it, great. But at least setting the goal of whatever the year is, like, reading that. So this year would be 22, next year would be 23, because we feel like as we start to get older, the amount of time that we have to read more books is probably also going to increase. Cause you'd go so out less and yeah, you go out less. You're retired. You have a lot more free time, uh -huh. but Oh, so you go um, up each year, go up each year. And so at least for the time being, we'll try to like, I, I downloaded the app Goodreads uh -huh. just to help me keep track and um, setting the goal of 22 this year, I think is, is a good one. That seems like a healthy goal. It's, it's not a small amount, but it's not like an insane amount. You have a lot going on. So I like that goal. I haven't set that's a goal like for one the every year. three weeks. Yeah, I think I it's mean, like one every three weeks. So that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty good. That makes so good. sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah. I go through phases where it's like I'll re- I'll fly through a book, and then there's phases where like there's two weeks go by, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've hardly read it all. So that yeah, seems healthy yeah. every three weeks. Okay, um, two more questions. What's who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very grateful for the mentorship that Coach B Hill has provided me. And I've been fortunate that we've had opportunities to do all of those, grab coffee, grab food together. Um, We haven't seen him since before the pandemic, just because his travel has been a little bit more limited. And you know that as he's getting a little bit older, that's going to be a little bit harder as well. So even though we've had the chance to do that in the past, I think I'd still, you, you, you realize like as the end of our lives are, are closer than the beginnings. It's you, you always wish that you had more time with some of the people that you really value. And so he would be one that would be higher on my professional list. Um, I think there's, there's numerous politicians, business leaders that you're fascinated by that you would like to have, have lunch with. I listened to this podcast called all in, which are these four billionaires that kind of debate a bunch of topics. And I love the podcast. They're, they're four best friends, but all from different political backgrounds that like their dialogues are fascinating. I think they would be um, really interesting to hear. Um, And then, I mean, my mom is always my biggest hero just because she's like, uh, I mean, she raised me and my siblings from when we were young. Um, She's just like, she's like Mary Poppins um, being an art teacher, but then now she's like, yeah, she, a a lot of her life lessons are things that like, I, I try to, to instill with our athletes, but then also just like be a representation of as well. And so I'm always grateful for times that I get to, to go out to dinner with her as well. How many siblings do you have? Uh, older sister, younger brother, Oh, nice. younger brother. Yeah. He's a firefighter. And then older sister works in marketing out in California. Oh, wow. That's cool. I'm a middle child as well. So yeah, (laughs) something special about us. Yeah. Um, (laughs) okay. Last question. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? I mean, it's a, it's a, I'm going to steal it from the show Ted Lasso, which Ali and I are big fans of, but it's one of my favorite quotes, which is, um, be curious, not judgmental. Um, I think in today's age with social media, it's easy to be judgmental more so than curious. And same thing when it comes to athletics, same things when it comes to trying to learn something new. Like, um, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm somebody that always loves to just explore something I may not necessarily understand well or understand as well as I would like. And Um, I think that quote kind of resonates with a lot of different facets about society, work, professionalism, running. Um, I think you just, you won't know how good you can be unless you actively try to seek it out. You won't know um, what somebody else might be dealing with unless you like give them the space to be able to um, tell their story the way that they want to tell it. And so um the be curious, not judgmental thing. If we had a little bit more of that in, in each person, like maybe we wouldn't be as hostile, confrontational, politically separated as, as we find ourselves today. So I love that. And I love Ted Lasso. 
Yeah, it's a great role model too. So good. I'm. I don't know when yeah. the next season's coming out, but I'm already excited for it. For sure. Yeah. Um. All right, Richie. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Richie, for coming on the show. You guys can learn more about Roots Running when you go to rootsrunning.org. You can also follow Richie on Twitter. He is Dr. Richard Hansen over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626, as well as Twitter at lindsayhine. And we have a great Facebook group. We'd love to have you join. It's just called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. All right, friends, thanks for being here. We've got another episode next week with our nutrition series. This is a six-part series. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes on that nutrition series. Thanks for being here. Have a great Friday, and we will see you on Monday. Have a great day.